0: everybody on clubhouse so i talked about clubhouse i also want to talk about um a number of things with the law firm because i want to tell you what's what's happened in our firm that i think people would benefit from so first have you ever experienced getting too many emails i did and i was very frustrated because like especially with like zoom depositions i would have somebody tell me on day one hey in a month you got a depot, and here's the zoom link and it it, and the title or the subject would be the name of the case right so a month later i'm um i'm about ready to take the depot, and i need the zoom link so i search for all the emails on that case and there's five billion emails and you spend more time going through the emails looking for the link so what you wind up doing is sending another email and say hey resend me that link and I've been trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that the emails get unruly. And Reza Torchiday, who's you know who's been on the show, said, you should try Slack. And I know Slack is probably the best known thing. And we've been using Slack now for a week and it's great, terrific. And so there is a trial run. It doesn't cost you anything. I would recommend if you have an issue with emails or too much communication, especially if your firm's a little larger and you got a lot of emails falling back and forth, try something like Slack, because what it allows you to do is to create, they call them channels, but basically they're topics. And we create a different channel for each one of the cases, plus one for like marketing, one for finance. So let's say my finance channel, as me and the controller and their assistant. And so instead of having literally a thousand emails a day that you have to search through, you can create a a Slack channel that's only in-house people. And I have found at least in a weeks that it's a lot more effective to find stuff. The other big thing in Slack, which is great, is that you can attach They call them pin, but you can notate on the side, documents, links, et cetera. So let's say we have depots in a particular case. On Slack, they send me, hey, we got these depots. But then when you you can pin the Zoom links to that particular channel. So when I go on that channel, I just open the pins and all of the Zoom links are there are the documents for a depot. You say your associate says here are the exhibits for a depot that you're gonna use and they pin all the documents so you don't have to go searching for all this crap. So I found it's something that's really effective. So that's that's um, something I'd recommend. Next, I know we're rolling through some stuff. So about 10, 11, 12 years ago, um, I, was tr- I was trying a lot of cases I've done about a hundred jury trials. And back then, I don't know, I was trying six to 10 cases a year, right? And as a younger lawyer, I realized that one of the big things that I had that was a benefit was money to finance experts, et cetera. And that one of the biggest impetuses that I saw people referring me where it was, I need you to try this case, not because I was all that in a bag of chips, but I could pay for the expert costs, right? But, and then I would win some of the trials. So I created a thing called the Warrior Fund about 10, 11, 12 years ago, where I put aside some money and I would, for newer, younger lawyers, I would finance up to 10 grand, half of your pre-trial costs, your experts and your trial costs. And if you guys won the trial or you settled it for good money, you gave me back my costs. And if you lost, I would eat it. And I've done this for about 30, 35 people. Sounds like a good deal, right? Every speech at Cala, I would promote it, whatever. And most people who didn't use it, when I'm like, this is like free money, they'd go, what's the catch? What's the strings attached? And I would routinely say there are no strings attached. And there really aren't. But the Warrior Fund, people stopped needing it when COVID started happening. So I wanted to start the announcement today and we're gonna put it on our website is that I'm retooling the Warrior Fund. So for newer lawyers, I'm not gonna finance established firms money, but instead of pre-trial costs, I will for certain cases, for newer lawyers, help you with your deposition and your litigation costs. I'll pay up to half of them, up to 10 grand, if you commit to fight hard, right? What I wanted to encourage were people to try cases and to litigate hard and not fold because they ran out of money, okay? Because that not only helps you, it helps everybody here because all of us who try cases, it helps everybody else, right? Carriers lowball once they figure out that you will take a lowball because of you're running out of money, you're scared of trial, et cetera. Right? And as we talked about, it starts pre lit Once you telegraph that to a carrier, they're gonna they're gonna make you convince them that they're wrong by lowballing you over and over and over again. Conversely, once you become on their radar as not accepting that low law, it is a gift. It is a gift. Right. People ask me, how do you settle a case in three days? You get involved in three days later and the case settles. I'm like, because I got a rep. But it's not because I did that a week ago. I've been doing that for 20 years. And as you guys develop your careers, this is what I'm talking about. So, um everybody who's dealt with uh, my office has dealt with Gabby Sanchez. I'm going to put here in the um, chat room uh, Gabby's email address. So Gabby is at gsanchez at alderlaw.com. If any of you have a case, you're, let's say, five years, six years practice or less, email Gabby and tell us kind of the facts and why the Warrior Fund would help you. And subject to me running out of money, I will help as many of you as I can, okay? There are no strings attached. I don't need anything, don't want anything. This is something that I wanna do to help all of us. And candidly, it helps me because the stronger any one of us are, the stronger we all are, okay? So that's gonna come, so that's next. A Couple other things, and then I really, I'm excited about today. Um, If you guys follow, you've seen that I'm involved and we're involved in the the YMCA. I hope some of y'all have seen of that. That's just always a remarkable thing. People ask me all the time, How can I volunteer, you know, that's how the, you know, the volunteerfund.com got started is to help people who want to help but don't know where. YMCA, if you ever need anything, food donations, if you want to give time, food, money, whatever, I'll hook you up. But one of the things we're doing is we've reinstituted the feeding of hospital workers. Um, we got vaccinated. Gina uh, was able to to help us. She organized me and her getting vaccinated. We were in the hospital and we noticed that everybody who was working there, no food, no drink, the snacks for the people getting vaccinated. Eh. But uh, eight months ago, there was plenty of food. And so people have gotten fatigued. And so we decided to re-up that. So, we do have a GoFund and we're gonna match every dollar that people are to donate. Again, you don't have to do any of this, but if you wanted to and you're looking for something that is effective and efficient, that's there. All right, let's run right into law, okay? A couple of things that have come up in the last week that I thought were really important that, that everybody here is gonna to relate to. First, somebody yesterday goes, hey, Mike, do I have a good mild traumatic brain injury case? Mild TBI, right? MTBI. So let me just talk about that for just a minute because I have learned the hard way of what a bad mild traumatic brain injury case is. I have learned how you put together $60,000 at the expert costs, and your case is worth 600 bucks. First of all, Traumatic brain injury is generically divided into three levels, mild, moderate, and severe. Okay. A mild traumatic brain injury can be a big problem, and it is an unfortunate circumstance that they describe it generically as mild. It's kind of like in, in trial when they say a substantial factor, and substantial doesn't really mean substantial in the real world. It just means not trivial the same with a mild traumatic brain injury most people that lay people that hear mild traumatic brain injury they go oh well it's mild but i gotta tell you if you've got a moderate brain injury you're pretty screwed up so let me tell you about what a mild traumatic brain injury first any kind of impact to the brain is a mild traumatic brain injury so when you see someone who has a concussion, that is a form of mild traumatic brain injury. And many of our clients have a concussion, right? You hit your head and then the week or two after they're dizzy, they got memory issues, etc. And then what a lot of lawyers do is they go, cha-ching, I got a big old face. The issue with a mild traumatic brain injury is the residuals and how long those problems last over time. Okay? And I wanna tell you how this is analyzed by the insurance companies. So when I first started, um, mild traumatic brain injury, when you talk to defense experts, neurologists, and I remember exactly some of these neurologists, Michael Wiener, Barry Ludwig, some of y'all have, right? It used to be that the consensus for defense experts was most concussive syndromes, mild traumatic brain injury symptoms, dizziness, confusion, nausea, memory issues, would go away after six months but they said that there is a certain percentage that don't go away. And they named them the miserable minority. And I had Dr. Ludwig's book and his PowerPoints and all this and I got him to agree to this. And I said, can you tell me more likely than not that my client is not in the miserable minority? And if they couldn't, I had a claim for mild traumatic brain injury. And then about 15 years ago, an insurance company financed a study that debunked the miserable minority. And so now most defense experts are going to say that if you don't have three characteristics in a mild traumatic brain injury, then it's going to go away in six months and you it can't be related to the accident. So you need, if you have these three things, In your case, the defense is gonna have a hard time finding a defense neurologist to crap on your case. And here are the three things. One, post-accident amnesia. I don't remember what happened in the accident. Two, loss of consciousness for 15 minutes or more, and that's a little flexible, 10 to 15 minutes, okay? And those two things are fairly objective, right? I mean, you can determine those. But the third one is a pain in the ass. So when paramedics come to the scene, there is a scale called the Glasgow Coma Scale, GCS. And it's three different parts of a test, one to five points through each. So 15 is the top score and three is the bottom score. And the three things are like mental acuity, focus and something else. And these paramedics spend five seconds or less with very minimal training while they're dealing with an entire accident and they put a Glasgow Coma Scale rating on your client. And if they just are not paying attention and they go, he's fine, 15. A defense expert will use that and say, see, they don't have a mild traumatic brain injury because there's a Glasgow Coma Scale of 15 or more or 15. So we can talk later about how you debunk all that but if you have a 12 or under gcs amnesia and loss of consciousness or 10 or 15 minutes most defense neurologists have gone on the record and said that is a problem that could persist and is trauma related okay so now conversely if you don't have post amnesia, post-accident amnesia, if you got a Glasgow coma of 15, if you don't have loss of consciousness, when you're looking at a case and they go, well, they hit their head and their parents are saying they can't remember shit, and the, you're gonna have a tough time getting money out of the insurance company, all right? So that is a kind of a basic analysis of a mild traumatic brain injury. Now, I'm also assuming that they've had an MRI and the brain is normal. There's no bleeds, there's no objective issues, there's no head fracture or anything like that. But that's a very basic thing. So yesterday a guy was asking me, do I have a case here? And I went through those factors. Yeah, they have amnesia, but now I got to go see if there's loss of consciousness and I got to see how I can prove that, right? You got to prove it with more than the client when they're like, yeah, I was out. I I lost consciousness. You're like, how do you know you were unconscious, right? You got to have other people say about they were unconscious. Okay. And then the last thing is, that's where the medical records, the paramedic and the ER records are so critical because they're always wrong. They are wrong all the time. Or what they write down is five part hearsay, right? We, we read about double hearsay in law school. It's like seven time hearsay. And in California, the Sanchez case now is something we got to deal with. And again, I know I'm hitting y'all with big issues, but that's a, a quick and dirty. Next issue that came up was 998s and insurance levels. And I want to talk about strategies that you guys can use for all of this first. We have a case that we were in mediation and another case that I was talking about discussions with and we were talking about insurance levels. And I get referrals from cases from people and they go, oh, this is a great case. There's 20 million in coverage. And I'm like, well, coverage is irrelevant. Let's talk about the injuries. But people think that because you got a shitload of coverage that your case is more likely to settle. And that in many cases is not true. The reverse is true. For example, right? If you got a case that's worth uh, about a hundred grand, if you've got a policy that's about a hundred grand, when you demand that policy, the insurance company is gripping because if they make the wrong call, they may have an excess policy judgment, which is outside their reserves, outside their comfort zone. So when you make a $100,000 policy demand on a case that's about a hundred grand, they pay attention. Right? But when they've got or a 250 policy plus a $10 million umbrella, right? and let's say your case is worth 500 grand, whether you demand 400, 500, a million, a million two, and they've got $10 million in coverage, they don't give a shit. They don't care as much. So many times when you have big companies with $100 million in coverage with no trial date, you will experience them just sitting on it because they don't really care because it's within their reserves. It doesn't affect their business model. They don't have to paper the file. There's no adjuster that's going to get in trouble by, by having to pay over policy. And so when you have layers of coverage, we went into a mediation and there was a, uh, a layer that went up to 5 million and then there was like 10 million on top of that. And so we could have demanded 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, but it would have been a lot less likely to have pressure to settle. So it didn't settle And what we did after mediation was we made a 998 for the $5 million layer. Now, why would we do that? Because once you make a policy level demand at one of the levels, the excess joins you in convincing that underlying level to settle the case because they don't wanna go into their level of coverage. So when you're talking about bigger cases where you've got levels, and again, remember, California, there are no excess policies until you get to an underlying $250,000 policy. So if you got a 500 hundred policy, there's never gonna be an excess policy. But once you start getting into bigger cases with levels, Sometimes your 5.5 million dollar value case is better off making a five million dollar demand because your level is five million dollars, and now one of your biggest advocate is the carrier above pushing to pay the five. If you pay, if you demanded five million and one dollars, all that pressure's gone. You guys get that? So when you're talking about money, sometimes The amount of coverage is not necessarily great that you have unlimited coverage. All right. Um, Last thing that came up was we have a case, and I've talked about it a little bit with like depositions in the past, but we a long time ago made 998s against the corporation. And I have experience going to trial, getting a verdict. against uh, a defendant and go in to enforce my 998 and it's against the wrong defendant, right? So one thing we realized in a depot that the 998 I made against the defendant was the holding company, not the defendant that I'm gonna get a judgment against. And so now I had to re 998 against the right person, the right corporation. So when you're doing a 998, don't think about necessarily covering all your bases. What's relevant is do you have a judgment after the trial of the same person or company that you 998 did? And the biggest pitfall is when you have course and scope and you make or, or let's say uh, you got more than one defendant and they convince you right at, the, right at the eve of trial to simplify your case, dismiss all the underlings and just go against the, the big dog. We're gonna admit, course and scope, we're gonna... And you've 998-ed the driver and now you don't have a verdict against the driver because you got a verdict against the company so for the 998s that you've looked, that you've done, take a look again and make sure that the 998 that you have is against someone that you're gonna have a verdict against. And so if you've let's say done a 998 against the driver and really the money is with the company, many times my verdict form will say driver slash company so that I have a verdict that includes the driver so that my 998 is effective. So it's just something, again, I look, I've been doing this for a long time and I caught myself, I was like ah, God, So I did a, a prophylactic type of re 998 with a different, instead of blah, blah, blah ink, it was blank, blank, blunt holding just to make sure that however it shakes out at trial, I'm gonna have an enforceable 998. Make sense? All right, any questions so far on TBI, on 998s, on anything like that? Any experiences? All right. So guys, second half, we're going to talk about um, some fun stuff goals and you know this started a year ago maybe a little less than a year ago of an hour of law and then my guru part of my yogi self could not help myself and I talked about life and then I would send all y'all books and people like oh that's good tell me more about yogi stuff and I make fun about fun of it but actually it turns out that mental health is maybe more important than physical health, But I also talked about people would see me doing stuff like, why do you do this? And I'm like, look, first of all, it's a bit of work in progress. I haven't always been so awesome, right? I was like, (laughs) but it really was a function of goals. And I told this story that 20 years ago, I started almost 21 years, started my own firm. 21 years ago, I was about to get fired, laying on my couch, not knowing what the hell was going on. My, you know, my, I didn't, hadn't started my own firm yet. And I was miserable. And about 2 a.m., I know none of y'all have ever done this. Sitting on the couch, watching infomercials, right? I know y'all have never, you don't know what I'm talking about. And Tony Robbins infomercial came on, if you guys don't know who Tony Robbins is, you will have today. It was about take your power back, get this. It was new. We're no longer doing cassette tapes. We're gonna do CDs now. And it was listen t- 30 days, an hour, 45 minutes a day and it will change your life and it did. And one of the weeks was about goal setting. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about it today. And I want all of us to do a truncated version because what happened was after that week, I went from, I don't know what my goals are. I don't know what I want. I don't know how to do it. So I didn't do anything. And literally I had a plan. Now understand that that plan is not the plan you make later today for the rest of your life. It can change, but most of us haven't done this because we don't know how to do it and no one forced you to do it. So I'm going to force you to do it today. So the first thing I want y'all to do is is get four pieces of paper or get a notebook or something that has four sheets of paper on it, okay? And as you're doing that, I will tell you that the research is very clear that writing down your goals makes it 80% more likely that you accomplish them. And there's a number of reasons for that. One, writing down anything makes you focus on it. And second, goals, if they're written and you look at them regularly, become guideposts. They become real. And as we've talked about, we get into a rut, especially when we're at home now all day. That go to sleep, wake up, same thing. Go to sleep, wake up, same thing. Go to sleep, wake up. A week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, and we're like, where'd my life go? Oh, I always meant to do that. Oh, I wish I was like so-and-so on Instagram or Facebook. They seem like they got their shit together. I don't, what, how did they have? And if you have written goals that you look at periodically, it kind of brings you back to, oh yeah, let me get to that. And when you focus on it, you're more likely to accomplish it, right? What we focus on is what we accomplish. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Period. And when you have written goals that you look at periodically, you come back to those goals and it reminds you to do it. And so we're going to do that today. Okay? So does everybody have their four pieces of paper? So before we talk about this, we're going to take 25 seconds and we're gonna do an exercise. I know guys, look, call me whatever the hell you wanna call me, right? I don't really care. Don't do this, I don't care. But if you do it, you don't have to tell me you like it. You don't have, just bear with me, okay? So sit up, put your feet on the ground or stand up or whatever, wherever you are. I want you to imagine that there's a string or a rod that goes through the top of your head, through your butt and through the chair, right down your spine. And stand up like that string is holding you up, okay? I want you to think about that string now is in your center. So you're looking at your center, okay? Think about that string, that rod. Now I want you to become that string or that rod. You are now that string in your center. And just close your eyes and think about for 10 seconds, being that rod or that string that runs right down the center of your body and feel your feet in the ground. Done. Now, I learned that on the Calm app again. But you see now, if you feel like you got a center rod, as soon as you feel like you're walking away from that rod, pull it right back in and pull it into the center. And what they talked about is what I have found is that the first time you do it, you're like, this is freaking crazy weird. But how long did that take us? 25, 30 seconds? If you can get into a little bit of a habit two times a day, four times a day, doing that every couple of hours, set your alarm or whatever. It is remarkable how 25 seconds can take you back to a much much more effective centered place. And if you think about it in your lives, like I see it right in my in my life too, in our lives, you get so crazy and especially when a defense lawyer is a pain in the ass or the carrier doesn't want to pay money or your client, right? If we didn't have clients or referral lawyers, your lives would be great, right? Exactly. but just, and the more you do it, it's kind of like when you change your language to a positive language, it's harder at first, but the more you do it, the more like, so think about that as just an example. So now that we're focused, I want you to take each of the four pieces of paper. And on the first piece of paper, right at the top, personal development goals. Personal development. I like how everybody's doing this. Okay. Now on page number two, I want you to write career slash business slash economic goals. And for those of y'all that are in the car, we can talk about this later too. Page three, toys slash adventure goals. Everybody's like, I got this one. I know what this one's gonna be. (laughs) And number four, and everybody's like, yeah, I I won't have anything on Contribution goals. Okay, so let's go. Now, I want you to turn to personal um, development goals. And what we're going to do is an exercise for a couple of minutes, right? And here's what I want you to do. Personal development goals, I'm going to give you guys some kind of some ideas of what we're talking about. In this area, I want you to write down some goals, and we're going to do this as an exercise that are like, Fitness, spirituality, helping, being more healthy, um, you know, uh, learning another language, learning Shakespeare—things that—that goals of health and well-being. Right, and there's no right or wrong answer. So here's what we're going to do for for 45 seconds. You're gonna write as fast as you can. As many goals as you have, the first things that come to your mind, don't contemplate it. Don't be too specific. Don't, and, and here are the rules, okay? The rules are, what do I want if I could do no wrong and I could not fail? What would I want where I suspend all doubt and all difficulty? I'm not telling myself, well, I can't do that. I'm not in a situation in my life to do that. I can't do that because you're not thinking about why you can't do something. So 45 seconds, write as fast as you can, legibly, because you got to read it later. You can't fail and And we're talking about personal development goals, fitness, food, health, drinking, spirituality, learning, that kind of stuff, okay? No right or wrong, 45 seconds, go. I wanna lose weight of amounts, I wanna have good mental health, I wanna meditate, I wanna learn another language, I wanna teach, I wanna get closer to God, I wanna go to, no right or wrong, okay? Go another 20 seconds or so. Doesn't matter how many you have, doesn't matter what it is. Don't limit yourself. Okay, stop. Now you go to the second page. Now we're talking about career, business, economic goals. We're gonna go through the same process but what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I wanna make so much money. I wanna have X amount in the bank. I wanna own so many properties right? I want to do this with my law firm. I want to be this big. I want to be in so many states. Those types of things, right? I want to save for my X amount for my kids' education. I want to invest in this. I want to own a hotel, a restaurant, those types. These are career. I want to win trial lawyer of the year. I want to, okay, Career, business, economic goals. 45 seconds, write fast, no limits. Don't think about whether you can or can't do it based on your family, your location, your economics. Unlimited, 45 seconds, go. I want to do this in my career. I want to win the Nobel Peace Prize. I want to become a world Taekwondo champion, AJ. About 15 more seconds. No right or no wrong. Okay, stop. Next page, number three, toys, adventure goals. Same thing, no limits, know where you're at, just go. We're talking about, don't be super specific. Like not, like I wanna own a home in, on a vineyard. don't go, I wanna own a 12,000 square foot home with 20 vines or whatever, be a little general. But these are toys. These are cars, trains, boats, automobiles, um, vacation homes, pool, computer, things that you want. Okay? 45 seconds, only 45 seconds. I know y'all have more than this. Ready? Go. This can be also trips. I want to go to China. I want to travel the world. I want to sail around the world. I I want to go see Hamilton in New York. I go on a safari, Maseratis, Lamborghinis. 15 more seconds. I wanna race a car in the Indy 500. I wanna... Oh, stop it, Siri. Siri just picked up the Indy 500. Okay, stop. Now we're going to uh, number four. These are contribution goals, okay? You may or may not have them. There may be one or a billion. But these are community helping. I wanna volunteer at the X. I wanna build a shelter for the homeless. I want to create a fund. I wanna do a 501 c three. I wanna help fight the destruction of rainforests. I wanna save polar bears. I wanna, okay. This is contribution to the community, to each other. 45 seconds, no limits. Don't matter, don't use destinations or locations or family or money as a limit, go. 15 more seconds. Okay, let's stop. Now, before we go to the next part of this, I just want y'all to think about if you've ever done this before. If you've ever actually put down on paper things and many times, our first instincts are really what we want. And so I hope that as you guys see, when you went right to the stuff that first came to your mind, some stuff like I wanna be king of the universe, obviously it's gonna be difficult, right? But other things are a lot more achievable than you think. So take a, just take a breath and now we're gonna to go to the next step. And I appreciate y'all doing this. And if you think that I'm kind of out there on, you know, crazy town, I'm sorry. Get over it, right? Next, I want you to go to the first page personal development goals. And I want you to write down next to them a timeline. And here's what I want you to use six months. 1 year, 3 year, 5 year. And again, just the first thing that comes to your mind as you go down each of the ones that you wrote, put a timeline. Now I want you to think about a timeline that is that pushes your boundaries a little bit, okay? Everything we want is right outside our comfort zone. And if you're not going to fail at some of these, then you're not you're giving yourself too much time. So just now go down six, a one, a three or a five. Six months, one year, three year, five year. Spend about 20 seconds and go down them and right next to it. Just your first instinct, go. Go. Five more seconds. Okay. Next, go to page two and we're going to repeat six months, one year, three year, five year. Again, you're not giving yourself an out. You're not saying, well, I could never do this. So let me put that at five years, okay? You're pushing yourself not, but you're also not being You know a crazy person and you're like everyone i'm going to do in six months don't set yourself up to fail but push your boundaries so go six one three five go
1: man i may need a 10 next to some of these
0: there you go get rid of that chris that's out the door All right, five more seconds. Okay, now we're gonna go to the third one. Toys and adventure goals. You cannot write six months for all of these, okay? But now we're gonna go six months, one, three, five years. I go through this for the next 20 seconds or so, go. So Charles is like, I wanna get a video camera this year. Right, That should be a six month goal. Five more seconds. All right, and now we're going to go to the last one, the fourth one, the contribution goals. And we're going to go to six month, one, three, and five year, right down next to each one of them. Go. All right, five more seconds. All right, so put your pens down. You guys just created your goal list. So now what we're gonna we're gonna finish up, but what you've now done is you started in move forward substantially and executed on written goals. Now, what I'd ask you to do, and I think it would benefit you is after this, write it down more legibly and take out the things if you really believe that they're unattainable, that are upon reflection, you really don't want them. Like I'm gonna be king of the universe that kind of stuff, right? Or I'm going to, you know, move to, you know, New Zealand tomorrow or whatever and you really only want that cuz you saw that on TV last night or something. But cross those out, but then rewrite these goals. It doesn't have to be super big or whatever, but in a, you know, a, a location that you can access frequently. Mine are under a goal tab on my booklet, okay? And so when you do that, you will have six month, one, three and five year goals for the main four things that are happening in most of our lives. Okay? Now, there's no right or wrong, but what I'd ask you to do is once you write it down, take a look at those six months goals once a week. And what it will do for you is one, it will make it 80% more likely that you accomplish those goals. And it provides you with a guidepost that periodically, at least once a week, will pull you out of your everyday life and you'll go, oh yeah, let me take a step towards that. And that will be the motivation to make that phone call, to look up Rosetta Stone. To call so and so, to buy that book on Amazon, to do whatever. Okay. Your one year goals, I, again, don't get, you don't have to get crazy, but once a month, take a look at those one year goals. They're guideposts. Your three and five year goals, every six months. It can be more frequent, but you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself. Now, next in two weeks, some of y'all I think are gonna be like, finally I did this. Now look, 22 years ago, I was in my 30s. I had not done it until I was in my 30s. And since that time I've had written goals. And I will tell you that the first goals I wrote when I was on my couch, in Sherman Oaks, about to get fired, I mean quit. I mean fired, I mean quit. I wanted to open my own firm. I wanted to win trial lawyer of the year in 10 years. I wanted to be president of Cala in 15 years or whatever it was, right? Whatever it was, I wanted to own this much money, have this much, make this much, have this, etc. And after wanting that stuff for the first 10 years of my career and not getting any of it, I got all of it in about four years. And it's not because I was the same i was me, but what it did for me was it focused me and it will help focus you guys. And I really appreciate you guys taking the leap with me and doing this. I think it will benefit you tremendously. The last couple of thoughts on this, and then we're going to have any conversations, is that There is a misnomer that what you just did, that you have to have the pressure of putting together the blueprint for the rest of your life. And you can't vary from this. You can't add it. You can't subtract. That is not true. Goals are yours and yours alone. They can change. You can get to a point where you're about to accomplish your goal and you realize you didn't even want it. And there's many things that are going to come up as we get older, as we experience different things, right? That become more or less important. Money's become a lot less important to me as I've gotten older. Family's a lot more important to me. There's a lot of things that change. So the goals you wrote today, or may not be all the same goals a year, five years, 10 years from now. And that's completely okay. Last thing I want to say is, If you're not failing at some of these goals, you're setting your sights too low. Failure is required because what it tells us is that you're reaching outside your comfort zone. And that is the only way that we grow, right? The only way you get more muscle is lifting stuff that's hard to lift, right? So don't worry about not accomplishing your goals change your perspective and look at it as, hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm failing. So that means I'm doing the right thing of stepping outside my comfort zone. Remember, when you fail, you are not identifying yourself as a failure. You're identifying yourself as an executor and failure is a, a bent, it is not an identity. You can also write these and tape them up on your mirror in the, in the bathroom You can put them in your car. There's no limit to how many times you write it and how many times you put it around, subject to driving your significant other crazy. Which is another thing I've got experience at, right? So any last comments? I I really do appreciate y'all taking the leap with me. And um, I do strongly believe that this will help every one of you who've done it because it's helped me tremendously.
1: Hey Mike Anything? can you uh yeah can you repeat that um, you're not going to gain muscle unless you lift heavy weight or lift weight that you haven't lifted before so Chris Malaw can hear about that
0: yeah well he already uh, made, yeah. But, and exactly well and you know you're lifting heavy weights mentally and physically right the Everything that you want is outside your comfort zone. If you're only doing stuff that makes you feel good all the time, you're going to regret it as you get older, right? Most of the things that people say, man, I wish I had done a main reason they didn't do it because it was uncomfortable. So think about as these weights, as these goals, man, I it's going to force you to make that phone call to write that personal note to the CEO that you thought would never answer your goddamn response. And the next thing you know, they're calling you going, why don't we have lunch together? And you're like, what? And do you see that it starts with setting a goal that motivates you and having the perspective and the right frame of mind to actually go for it and realize that that fear is nothing more than in your own mind. None of us, when if any of you fail at your goals, none of the other ones of us are gonna say anything bad other than bravo. At least I will. So go for it guys. I'm, and I appreciate again, you guys trusting me on this.
1: And if I can add one one more thing, Mike, and I'll let anybody else talk. Um, when you were talking about the big goals and, and whether or not you achieve them, uh, you know, just kind of put them out there. But having those big, hairy, audacious goals, you do need something to help you get there. And what I've read in the past is this book called The One Thing. Uh, Gary Keller, who started Keller Williams um, and Jay Papazan, authored that book. And it is a fantastic model on how to break down these massive, I think they call them big, hairy, audacious goals, into something that is... Uh, more, it puts in your mind that it, that it's more attainable, um, and, and helps you get there. And so, when you were breaking it down from five years to you know six months, that's exactly what they do and explain this domino method. Uh, and so, if anybody uh, is looking for just a little bit more motivation on how to get there, the one thing by Gary Keller is a fantastic read.
0: The one thing. Thanks a lot, Ryan. I appreciate that. That's very helpful. Hey, okay. Mike. Yeah. Mike, staying on the, this is Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, on the weightlifting analogy,
1: maybe uh, also doing a lot of reps would be a good uh, good thing to keep in mind in um, forming the habits, the good habits by doing lots of reps and staying po- positive, staying focused, retrying, reattempting those, whatever those little steps are to get to that main goal, develop the habit.
0: That's a great point. And you know, I've talked about this, but you know, for all of y'all who have read any of the Medcalf, Joshua Medcalf, the Chopwood Carry Water, the Pound of Stone, the Stone, all that, you know, the pursuit of greatness, again, and I know these sound like platitudes, but once you get past the, uh, give me a break, and actually look at it, it's true, that greatness is not for the chosen few, it is not, it is for the few that choose to do the hard work, not work hard, because we all work hard, everybody's worked hard but to do that hard work, those choices to go outside your comfort zone on a consistent basis that succeed. Excellence is not about lifting a thousand pounds on Monday and no weight Tuesday through Sunday. You're much better off doing a small amount of steps but doing consistently over time, 1% compounded is humongous and what, The natural instinct is, is we don't know where we wanna go. We don't know what step to take. We don't know if we should go left or right, even though it's the same percentage chance of success or failure, and instead we just stand still. And the exercise we did is is a step to doing something because in the end, it doesn't matter how beautiful, how smart, how talented, how rich, How connected you are, if you don't execute, it is irrelevant. And execution is everything. And I will say this last thing. As I see a couple of students of mine, I'm an adjunct at Loyola. And let's see, I see Brandon and I see Annie. Is there anybody else from my class? But I gave this speech to them and I've done it to everyone, including at Cala to 800 people. Most everybody who's a law student or a lawyer or a professional has the brains, the intelligence, the motivation, they know how to work hard. They know how they have access to information. They probably got financial resources or family resources. And only about five or 10% of us actually execute on the information that we have. And I told my class, everybody follow up with me, do whatever write me and, and sure enough everybody was like for 100 percent, professor alder and i'm like mm, professor alder 15 these are motivated kids that come to my class that actually logged on and it's not because they're bad it's because uh you know isn't there a game of thrones movie on tonight uh netflix did whatever My kids are, you don't understand, Mike. I got to feed my kids. You don't understand. I got, I ran out of gas last night. You don't, I'll do it on Monday. I'll do it next month. And these are what we do that allow our lives to pass and not execute. So now you have a framework, write it down, put it up in your bathroom, in your car, in your notebook. Go with God. Love you guys. Thank y'all very much. Thank you on Clubhouse. And when you come back in two weeks, I bet a percentage of y'all are going to be like, yeah, thank you, my man. All right. Welcome, Louisiana guys, my our friends in Louisiana. Thank you all very much. And we'll yeah, see. Yeah. If y'all need anything, you want to talk about it more, you want to refine it, you want to run stuff by me, my phone number, my email is always available. Also think about the Warrior Fund and I say that and people always say, why would you give away your number and your email? You're gonna be inundated. And I'm like, "Now nah, about 5%, take me up on it. I am an open book. You guys are welcome to run these by me. We can talk about my goals and your goals. We can talk about anything you want, about refining them. I'm here to help. Welcome to 2021, guys.
1: Thanks, Mike. Have
0: Thank you. Mike.